It was better than I thought it would be, which is actually a good thing because I did go into it thinking, you know, this could be good. And I, and I did think it did get some of the things right. If you like movies that are very special effects driven, you'll love this movie. Hello and welcome to At The Movies with Mike and Marie, a show where two film professors talk about movies. I'm Marie Westhaver. And I'm Mike Giuliano. And today we're going to talk about Black Adam and Ticket to Paradise, starting off with Black Adam, which you probably know already, Mike, but this was a decade in the making. So first things first, I have to tip my hat to Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, for still being so incredibly fit a decade later after promising to make this movie. Now, this is yet another superhero movie. I know we have talked many times, Mike, about the saturation of this particular kind of movie that's out there. Where do you want to start with this? I mean, I'll start with by saying I loved what the Washington Post said in the review of the movie, calling it a rock'em, sock'em, toke'em movie. What did you think? Marie, when you say it was a decade in the making, I think it was also a decade in the viewing. Um, <laughs> you know, at, at 124 minutes, it's not particularly long as superhero movies go. And, and it wasn't boring, actually. It held my interest, but it does go on and on. And it's, it's really repetitious in a lot of ways and just incomprehensible at times as well. And even though, you know, credit to Dwayne Johnson for looking so great in the role, I mean, I'm just like a slacker by comparison. I got to go to the gym or something. But, you know, he looks he looks terrific in, in, in the role. But, you know, even so, between the godlike accoutrements, some of the costuming and, and, and makeup and uh, amidst all the swirling special effects, even he sometimes gets swept up or obscured by all of that. So uh, and also what happens here is I'm not as big a fan of his performance here as you are in the sense that. He's trying to strike a certain regal presence because he's this ancient god-like figure, and, and we can get into the story if we must. But he's been sort of like, you know, from 5,000 years ago, he's been conjured up, and here he is. And he plays it with sometimes a swagger, but oftentimes in a really sort of stoic way, that he's just this rock-like figure there. And sometimes, you know, that gets old pretty fast, where yet another scene where his face is like carved in granite or something, you know, there's not a lot of expression or emotion or anything. And again, that's where, uh, not that I ever forget him, but he's sort of that silent presence at the center of the frame. And, and so I didn't find him as interesting as I might. Now, I know I've got, gotten on a soapbox many times about movies that are overloaded with special effects, but I got to say here, I really need to say it again in the sense that, you know, the powers that he has, I call it like lightning bolts that never quit. You know, it's just like these electrical charges. That, and, and so, you know, like one powerful figure like that zaps another. And the other one zaps him back. And I think, well, what exactly are you zapping? And then secondly, you know, what would it take to knock down the other guy? It's just like, you know, it, it's I know it's going to defy laws of physics and common sense and all that. And I should put my brain on a shelf as I'm watching it. But the thing is, I sort of wonder after a while, well, what are the consequences? What are the stakes here? Because a lot of it is just like an excuse to have another throwdown. And with all those swirling special effects, honestly, after about a half hour of it, I thought I'd had my fill. Well, I thought the, the CGI was the best part of the movie, actually. Oh, well. Um, oh, well. <laughs> I mean, they actually use CGI to demuscle Dwayne Johnson for some of the scenes, which is actually, you know, an amazing thing when you think about it. Most of the time, CGI is enhancing something, but this actor is just so buffed up that they had to, you know, digitally erase some of it for, for certain scenes where they wanted a different look. But here's my little checklist of, Okay, here we are in a superhero movie. Are they going to do the standards? So ancient enemy reawoken in the present day, check. The fish out of water, alien in a modern world, check. A diverse team of heroes putting aside their differences for the bigger threat, check. 
A climactic CGI battle scene, check. Army of CGI pasted minor enemies for humans to fight, check. But in spite of all that, even though it's like, check, 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 you know, this is, in fact, this seems to be borrowed from another superhero movie. This seems to be like, you know, cribbing from this other character, from this other world. I still thought it was a fun movie to watch. I mean, I did think, even though it is, as all of these movies are, you know, strains credulity, some of it was kind of fun. So as you were checking all of those boxes, after you had them all checked, did you find yourself exclaiming Shazam, as they're always <laughs> saying, as they're always saying in the film itself? One thing they try to do is, and, and again, the opening gives you this exposition. This, the, you know, sometimes movies like this open with what I call endless narration, like bringing you up to speed. And there's this ancient story about some sort of demon crown and this and that. And I had to force myself to pay attention after a while. It's like, because I knew I needed to, to know this, to learn this. But it was just like there's somebody who like just goes on and on with some ancient bit of history. And, and you do need to know this in the story and that you're going to go from this ancient kingdom to what it is like 5,000 years later and how the Dwayne Johnson character has been kind of kind of resurrected and renamed becoming Black Adam. One thing that they do try to do here again in terms of skin color and in terms of the coloration of, of our protagonist is you know to have him presented as black not as Adam but as black Adam and in fact the film overtly will reference this there's a Dr. Fate character played by Pierce Brosnan and he's actually quite good in, in, in the role but he says at one point the world does not need a white knight sometimes it needs something darker and you can take that at least two ways. One isn't literally in terms of skin color. The other way is just in terms of the associations with, with darkness there in terms of somebody coming from this ancient world and nefarious characters and ominous doings and all that. So however you take it, and I think it's meant to register on, on both levels there, the film doesn't truly really do much with that. I mean, you know, the title itself, bingo, you know, how can you miss that? Dwayne Johnson front and center, how can you miss that? And yet, Maria, let me get your, your opinion on this because in terms of having that kind of character at the center of it, but that kind of character, I mean, you know, a, a person of color at the center of it, it doesn't really factor into the storyline per se. And I don't want to say that they shouldn't do that or that's distracting, but for me, it just seemed like that they put it out there and they're the ones putting it out there. I'm not. They put it out there and then just sort of left it. What do you think of that? Because it doesn't really factor into all, all the shenanigans, all the battles royale that we see in the film or when people try to analyze his character. If he is a, is he human, is he this, is he that? It doesn't seem like it really factors in, does it? No, I would say that as a story, there's so much they're trying to get in there that it's very hard to follow if you're not already a fan of these comic books from which these stories come. In fact, this character was supposed to be part of the original Shazam movie, which came out a couple of years ago, and they decided they wanted to split it off into its own movie. But the Shazam movie was much more tongue-in-cheek. This movie seems to be taking itself much more seriously. And I think one of the drawbacks is just the expectation you have from the title if you don't know anything about the comic book series in that because it's a kind of origin story and a different kind of origin story, I sort of expected it to be something more like an origin story that would involve an apple or some temptation or something <laughs> to play off the Adam. I mean, why call him Black Adam and then try to make it something that goes back to the beginning of time without taking advantage of that illusion? Well, one of the problems with origin stories like this is in a film like this, you have what I call endless backstories. Every time you meet a character, there's some back exposition. And as Marie says, you've got to be like a total fan of that particular genre, that particular series to, to pick up on and really care about that. For other viewers, 
even other viewers who like superhero movies, it just seems kind of overwhelming at times and confusing even. Who's this? Who's that? Because there's this whole team of supporting players, this Justice League that, you know, of all kinds of oddball characters who come together. And it's a sort of a grab bag of different characters and different cultures and different superpowers, if you will, and kind of arbitrary. That's what bothered me after a while. It was so arbitrary. Well, he can do this and she can do that. And it's like, well, what are they up to? It's like a circus sideshow of characters <laughs> in a lot of ways. And I think the film has problems with what I call tonal balance. As Marie says from Shazam, you would expect it to be like really lighthearted, silly fun. Okay, I'm, I'm all for silly fun. But this film takes itself very seriously. And even there, though, it's not consistent. Sometimes it's just goofball. Sometimes it's meant to be really ominous and ponderous and, you know, stoic faced and all that. And likewise, in terms of, you know, calling him Black Adam, sometimes it's, it's kind of jokey with it even. You know, you, you'll hear the Rolling Stones doing Paint It Black. You know, there's things like that just get dropped in, uh, you know, and okay, I'll smile at that. But, you know, what's the point of it, actually? But other places are somehow meant to take it seriously. And it just bounces around that way. To me, it just seems like there are too many cooks in the kitchen, too many characters in, in, in the film, too much bouncing around, and not really a firm guiding hand as to what exactly are you doing here. And again, it's where the special effects get out of control because they take over. And, you know, Marie enjoyed them more than I did, but in either case, the movie's so immersed in all that that there are elements of character and story that sort of fly off in all directions because you get another special effects-driven scene, and that's what holds your interest, and not, not the characters who are swirling around there amidst the CGI. Someone said in a review that it was like a cover band doing decent a decent version of your favorite songs. And I thought that was a really good way to put it, which is why I enjoyed the CGI. Because like I said, a lot of it was predictable. I didn't think there was a lot of tension throughout. I kind of always knew how it was going to go. It was like NATO with superpowers. But I did want to mention there were a couple moments where I thought it reminded me a little bit of the movie 300 in a good way. You know, that sort of oh, that's a nice looking scene. And it kind of evokes something very effective for this kind of movie. And I'll also say, I kind of like the way it was morally ambiguous, where he is like Superman, except he kills people. And yet it seemed, you weren't quite sure whether he was a hero or an anti-hero. And we talk about anti-heroes as a, as a character plot in movies, Mike. I mean, where did that land for you, the idea of him being an anti-hero? Well, this is actually one of the major problems with the film. It's one thing to have a morally ambiguous protagonist. And I oftentimes like characters that way because they're complicated and you, you spend time trying to figure them out, right? But this is a case where the moral ambiguity, and it is there in the film, is he is he a, a malevolent force or a good force? It takes a while to really sort through all that. But what, what bothers me about the film is I don't think they thought it through. It's one thing to have a morally ambiguous character who's that way by design. This is how he's being presented to us. It's another thing to have a character like that where you feel like the creative forces behind the film haven't really thought about it themselves. They just toss in all these elements and, and there's no real game plan, if you will. It's just, well, let's do this, let's do that. So in one scene, he does seem like an anti-hero and sometimes even villainous in terms of stuff he says and does. In other scenes, he seems not only heroic, but downright nice. And it kind of bounces around that way. Now, is that something that we should admire as in moral complexity or, or, or just entangled and contrary emotions? Or is it just simply scattershot? And I think it's scattershot. I don't think they've really thought this through at all. Now, the, the film, no surprise, sets us up for a sequel. And yes, you have to sit through endless uh, final credits, and I won't spoil any of that, but definitely you're being set up for a sequel. And presumably, you'll, you'll have more development of that as a character. But my fear is that you'll just simply get more of the same. And so all these supporting characters in it, like Cyclone, Adam Smasher, Dr. Fate, Hawkman, 
they all have potentially interesting storylines. They all have different superpowers and so on. They form this sort of justice society of America. You can imagine in, in further installments, some of those characters getting more screen time, you know, more, more emphasis on them, more of their backstories. And so in terms of the franchise, that's promising. For me as a viewer, not something I look forward to particularly. And I have to say, mine is a minority voice. And that's why I'm sort of in a hectoring tone, because I know I'm a minority here. My hectoring tone is the fact that this movie did extremely well its opening weekend and, and you know, and is likely to, to make a lot of money. By the same token, the production cost is an estimated $200 million, so it better make some money there. But so far, it looks like one of the bigger releases of the fall. And so audiences, at least, you know, in the initial opening days and weeks, you know, seem to be there for it. So that actually bodes well by way of, you know, will there be further installments? I'd say for sure, based on at least the opening weekend gross of something like $65 million. I mean, it's doing well. So we'll see how it does further down the line. But there's an obvious audience appetite for this. And so even though Marie and I've had some reservations about it, you know, we're, we're carping that way. You know, we're, we're the folks who watch it and, you know, like some things, not others, but the audience has turned out for it. So there you go. Now, I will say the other thing I think they did right was they cast two of the best looking men in the world, if not in Hollywood, Dwayne Johnson and Pierce Brosnan, which I think was a smart move in terms of bringing in the female audience, because that's a lot of eye candy going on there. I think that was a smart move. But Mike, I want to ask you two questions. One is, how did you feel about the brutality in the movie being played for laughs? Did you think those jokes landed? And second of all, because I'm stuck on the fact that they decided to name an ad of A-D-A-M like, you know, the first man in the Genesis story, and then having a character, minor character, named Adam Smasher. And of course, they're saying it as, in terms of A-T-O-M, but I can't help but get stuck on the homonym. Do you think that was intentional, Mike? Well, in intentional, but in a really glib way, not, not in a meaningful way at all. It's just like, it's what I call, you know, a, a situation where the, the, the writers and the director, people are sitting around the table. They're having a table read. They're still finessing the script and so on. And things that seem clever in the moment, hey, let's call them this. Let's do that. They're more clever around the conference table than maybe on the screen, finally. So, Marie, to your initial question, the jokes land, but with a thud oftentimes. It's not a subtle film and not nor what I expect it to be. So some of the jokes are like really predictable and like almost like you want to groan as much as, as laugh at them. But again, the film has tonal problems, as I, I keep saying, because sometimes it is meant to be taken seriously. It's got a somberness to it. And other times it's just so jokey and so silly from scene to scene, you don't know quite where it's going to be. And I don't think they quite knew. But, you know, in a commercial sense, it's paid off. So all of my carping gets me nowhere. I'm the disgruntled loan customer. You know, it, it, most people really have liked this film in the sense of just, you know, the box office for and Marie liked it more than I did, but even Marie has some reservations about it, so it's not wholehearted support for it. Yeah, but it was better than I thought it would be, which is actually a good thing, because I did go into it thinking, you know, this could be good. And I, and I did think it did get some of the things right. If you like movies that are very special effects driven, you'll love this movie. Yeah, but you know what? That's a variation on saying if you go in with very low expectations, it, it will surpass them. <laughs> and it does. It's not as bad as it might have been. <laughs> but I think everybody's a little weary of the barrage of superhero movies. So I will say I think this was better than some that I have seen. But that takes us to the next blockbuster, Ticket to Paradise, the very much anticipated movie with Julia Roberts and George Clooney, who play a divorced couple who are banding together to sabotage their daughter's wedding that's supposed to be in Bali. So that is the setup of the movie. And this is just a, a frothy 
movie, but I will tell you when I saw it, that that theater was full and I dragged my husband and I went to with my sisters, one of whom brought her husband. And as we were walking into the theater, we passed another guy with his popcorn who looked at the two guys going, so you guys got dragged to this too. So everybody went in knowing it was a chick flick. And from that standpoint, it did not disappoint. What was your reaction like? I love the way you introduced it because uh, when I saw it, I think I was the only man in the audience. It was such a chick flick that way. And, you know, I'm, I'm always watching the screen, but also peripherally, you know, taking in the audience. And I couldn't help but note the fact that it was all women and oftentimes, you know, an age range, but a lot of middle-aged women who clearly were there to see George Clooney and Julia Roberts. And speaking of age, they are aging well. I'll, I'll put in a word for them. Uh, George Clooney is 61. Julia Roberts is 55. i got to say for Julia Roberts, she's still got that million dollar smile. She mm -hmm. can still just totally, win. even though I was had like very mixed and kind of mild reactions to the film, it is an entertaining film. I mean, I you know, even I enjoyed it as, as the only man in the audience, even I enjoyed it. And if you put my arm behind my back, I'd say, yeah, I kind of liked it. But the fact that the two of them who've appeared together in, in movies before, Ocean's Eleven and, and, and a few others, they are a very simpatico. They, they have, and that works for it and against it. It works for it in the sense of natural chemistry. These two actors work together extremely well. And so even though some of the scripting is, is kind of weak, uh, so what? You know, just seeing the movie stars on screen is, is enough. And so there, there's that. But uh, on the other hand, the, the more pejorative comments here would have to do with the fact that they're just sort of coasting through it. You know, they're they're just they're having a good time. I'm sure. I mean, you know, the, the movie is set in Bali. When I look at the tropical settings for it, I would have had a good time making this film, too. Are you kidding? Can you imagine when they quit work for the day, just getting another drink and sitting on the beach? I mean, and that's what the movie is like. So sure, who, who wouldn't enjoy that? But when I say this, the film is kind of slack and sloppy it's ticket to paradise and and the, the premise is these two divorced parents middle-aged parents have got a young adult daughter who's just graduated from law school and they think well she got a nice job etc she on, on a vacation to bali falls in love with with one of the locals as they say decides she wants to stay in paradise uh you know her new boyfriend actually you know he, he's a, not just a, a farmer but a, i'll call him a seaweed farmer he's very much you know there uh, on the beach and the ocean and so on a great guy all that but not what their parents had in mind so the, the parents want to sort of you know bust this up they want to sort of break up the couple before they get married and so on but and that's a, that's a valid premise for the story i'm not complaining about that but as you watch the film, some of it is so slight and so silly and just kind of kind of ridiculous. Like, for instance, as if it weren't enough that there's a scene where there's a snake bite and, you know, that kind of, oh, someone got bitten by a snake. That's a variation on like going back to silent film days where if you take a walk in the woods, a bear will come out. Right. You know, and, and, and the audience laughs because there's a bear on the trail. It's that kind of stuff. So there's a snake bite that has to be dealt with. And as if that weren't enough. There's even a scene where one of the characters is attacked by a dolphin. Now, that doesn't happen very often in nature, but that kind of stuff happens all the time in this film. And some of that just seemed to me like not exactly cheap, but just kind of like sloppy, you know, this will get a laugh sort of thing. And when you have several scenes like that, after a while, I'm like, oh, come on, you know, tell me more about the characters and make it more involving in some way, but don't have a dolphin attack somebody. I mean, that's just that's just like what I call silly stupid, right? That's just stupid after a while. What do you think? You know, there were so many moments like that that I thought were clunkers. And, you know, actually the whole snake bite thing, I think that was an, on a special episode of the Brady Bunch. You know, they're what? Oh, my God, a scorpion. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, the snake bite, you're just sort of expecting a quicksand scene. There were things that made absolutely no sense. Like they're stranded on this island overnight because their boat floats away. And even as you're watching the boat float away, you're going, you still have time to go get it. You know, it's not so far out that you, there goes my boat. Oh, well. 
And then the next day they're saved by mopeds. What? You know what, Marie, you you know what? Gilligan's Island has more narrative logic than this film. (laughs) Yes, but it was sort of French farce, you know, with people going in and out of rooms that, you know, let's hope somebody doesn't find out that I spent the night with this person. I don't want them to know. Just goofy setting. But I felt like what they were going for was that sort of, you know, and you when you said movie stars, that really was, I underlined that because that's why people went to this movie. Nobody cared whether it made sense or not. It was what Alfred Hitchcock said about people going to the movies because they want to see glamour. And it did deliver on that. I mean, you did get George Clooney and Julia Roberts playing off each other very well. You get this minor character played by Carrie Fisher's daughter, also kind of great to see her. It tried to be Spencer Tracy, but it really did not quite get there. You're making all the right associations. And and that's why as you watch the film, it's enjoyable to watch, but it could have been so much better. It could have been so much more. I think it's a lazy film in that respect. And you know what? If I were on that beach, I'd be lazy too. You know, it's just really sweet to settle in there, have a drink, have some goofy jokes. And it's all ultimately about watching movie stars. And so I'm honestly, I sound like I'm complaining. I'm I'm not in the sense that I'll watch George Clooney and Julia Roberts. It was really, it was pleasant to watch them. And sometimes I groaned at some of the jokes, sure. But, you know, it was it was an agreeable thing to watch. And so I know that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but just simply that as movies go, it's enjoyable. And it had a minimum of special effects, I'll point out. And so that also works in its favor. Now, one thing I thought was a major flaw and I will say that you know this is me and my sisters agreed to this but also you know after the movie when you're in the restroom all the people who were in the theater with me were in there too and they were all discussing Julia Roberts clothes which were awful I mean just all over the place terrible terrible outfits just made her look frumpy there was a whole discussion about a jumpsuit that I'm not going to get into but she should have fired everybody involved with with the clothing choices that she's made these dumpy looking rompers she's a movie star they could have done better I don't know if if that resonated for you Mike but I will say this also and I'll say this about most trailers if you've seen the trailer you've seen the whole movie and I wish they wouldn't do that but they do don't they Mike We could spend an entire show talking about that. There are some, I mean, we're careful not to give spoilers. We try our best, right? But the trailers already give everything away. And I've been harping on that for so long. And I, I, why? I I mean, you know, the trailer should be a teaser. It should get your interest but not tell you who done it and a who done it story. And what happens sometimes in a comedy is the trailer will have all of the comic highlights. If there are five really good jokes in the film, you get all of them in the trailer. And then when you go to watch the movie, it amounts to what Maria earlier referred to as a kind of checklist. It's like, okay, there's that one and that one and so on. And that's not the way you want to watch a film. It's like waiting for the next one. But because then when the joke arrives, you already heard it. It's like if somebody tells you a funny joke and then they tell it to you again, you'll laugh the first time. The second time, you'll you'll just smile, maybe. It's just like, okay, I remember it. And I think that's a real, real disappointment that trailers have forgotten what they're, they should be all about. And so it would be enough in the trailer simply to show you George Clooney and, and Julia Roberts and just some sparring back and forth. It's a screwball adventure kind of story. Just have them trade some lines back and forth and then have them on the beach. And, and you know, the palm trees and those movie stars, and I'm in, you know, I'll, I'll go to see that instead of like, you know, spilling the beans on, on everything there. In terms of wardrobe choices, yeah, she could have been better attired. I mean, Roberts herself is still charismatic, 
but whoever did the costuming, I think there were some serious wardrobe mistakes made there. But I have to say, like after the movie, uh, although the women still tend to go on a pack to the restroom, uh, the, the men usually don't do that. I guess I was, I was the only ma male customer at, at, at the movie, so I, you know, I'd go by myself, I guess. But we don't usually don't talk about clothing, about costuming quite that way. But if we were to do that, I think we would acknowledge that she could have been better attired. Marie, what do you make of that? It just seems like a major blunder. You have this still glamorous movie star, and some of those outfits were like serious wardrobe mistakes. What do you, I mean, what, what do you make the of it? The worst, the worst. The only thing that's worse is that purple sequin thing they put Sandra Bullock in. Oh, that's dreadful. Awful. Hey, fire your stylist. Somebody should have lost their job over that. I mean, really, there just a couple of outfits that were just so awful. They just screeched, you know, through the screen, just, just terrible. But I will say one thing that looked absolutely gorgeous was the scenery. And it was actually filmed in Australia, pretending to be Bali. But that was the other thing that was the consensus after the movie was everybody wanted to go to Bali. They made that place look incredible. I mean, the places that they were staying in, the natural surroundings, the beaches, the water, harvesting seaweed, something I've never thought about. All of that just looked so otherworldly and magical. I did think that the scenery and the background was, in terms of being a character, was a big success. That's reason enough to see the film. I mean, it's really, it's eye candy. It's very pleasurable that way. And so when you and your friends and, you know, and relatives, and it sounds like your whole extended uh, network of friends and relatives, you filled the theater, but there was consensus there, right? That this movie does provide that kind of pleasure. And if you can forgive it, some of the dumb jokes and, and the wardrobe and this and that, just look at the beach, look look at the palm trees. It, it's really, you know, you want to get on the next airplane to, to Bali or to Australia or wherever you're headed. And so I agree with Marie on that point. You know, if going to see a movie involves pleasure, there's pleasure here. Just have the right expectations. You're going to see a postcard at feature length. Enjoy it. Now, I don't want to give away the ending, and I know you don't want to either, but I will say that I liked the ending. I thought that was a really fun way to end it, but this was not the consensus in the ladies' room afterwards. A lot of people thought this was a terrible ending, a stupid ending, a ridiculous ending. What was your opinion, Mike? I also thought it was ridiculous, but it was sort of par for the course. I mean, the whole movie was filled with contrivances like that. So I was not surprised by the ending. And I kind of groaned a little bit, you know, this and that. But still, even though it's not the ending I would want or the most convincing of endings, you know what? They're still on the beach, right? So, so even though like, like intellectually I'm complaining about it at just the, the level of eye candy, I thought, yeah, but what a great place to have a, an unconvincing ending. You know, it's just it's still beautiful scenery for what's going on there. So I, I kind of agree with, with what you're saying there, that it's not quite the ending I would really want for it, but so what? I mean, the movie's full of those sort of, so you have to just go with it at that point. Enjoy your time on the beach in Bali. I have to say also, I really didn't like the title. I keep forgetting what it is and having to look at it. Ticket to Paradise. I mean, I guess it fits, but for some reason, it's just not memorable. I had to look it up. I, I was like, I, I knew the title, but then it's like reminding myself of it. I don't know quite why, because it's actually a relevant title. It actually does relate to, to the storyline. So that's, that's kind of a puzzle as to why, for some reason, it's not a more memorable title. But Ticket to Paradise actually does fit the storyline. So, you know, I can't, I can't complain about that. It's an appropriate title, but somehow not the most memorable title. Yeah, and I'm with you. It does describe the movie just fine, but it just seems like one of the other misses. Like it needed to be something that just gave you a heads up to to what was coming in a way that it seems very generic. It's a generic storyline in a lot of ways, isn't it? So it, it's, it is true in that sense, unfortunately. <laughs> but you do get major movie stars, and I think that's what it, it tended to do. And 
from that perspective, I think it did a great job. But that brings us to the end of our segment. If you have any comments about either of the two movies we have discussed and you want to tell us about it, send us an email at movies at howardcc.edu. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts at dragondigitalradio.podbean.com and also under Dragon Digital Radio on Spotify and Pandora. And we'll see you next week at the movies. See you then. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.